This is Come Follow Me with David Ridges for the week of June 22nd through the 28th, following chapters of Alma 17 through 22. Our guest host this week is Jen Brewer. Hi, everybody. My name is Jen Brewer. I am the author of We Are Daughters of Our Heavenly Father. I am going to talk to you today about Come Follow Me, the chapters of Alma 17 through 22. And there is so much to this. We're not going to be able to hit it all because it's just, it's huge and it's jam-packed. But we are going to dive deep into some of these areas. It's going to be a roller coaster ride. So sit down, strap yourself in. And let's head off for the for the races. We we're going to do some different levels here. So whenever I teach institute or seminary classes, we talk about the three different levels that we discuss church topics, and that is swimming, scuba diving, or snorkeling. So first we've got our swimming, and that's when we just talk about the general storyline. We can put on our goggles, we can see some things underneath, but we kind of stay along the surface and just get the overall picture. Sometimes we can strap on some some fins and, and some snorkeling gear and, and head down a little bit and we can bob down and see some greater some greater things. And then there are times when you just strap on that oxygen and you go deep and you see things that are completely hidden from the surface that maybe you didn't even know were there. <laughs> All three definitely have their place. So we're going to talk about some some of the swimming topics in this, but then I'm going to go there. We're going to kind of dive deep and do some do some scuba diving here in these chapters because there is some good stuff here. So first of all, umbrella picture of Alma chapter 17 through 22. We've got the story of Ammon. This is one that, that always catches the eye of Ammon chopping off the arms and the cool, strong guy and converts the king. And then the king's father comes and then we switch over to his brothers who are in prison. So we've got those three storylines going on. Okay, we've got him as Ammon as a missionary, his, his a servant self, then kind of the conversion of the king. And then we've got the, the brother. And then the father of the king. So we've got some side stories in here, but this is the general topic of what we're going to cover. Again, we won't we won't go into all of these details, but I really want to touch on on some parts of it. So we're going to start with Ammon. Oh, so many layers we can peel back with Ammon. He is just he's amazing. So we've got chapter seventeen. It opens up. So as you re, as if you can remember from from last week. We just finished up on Alma and on his on his missionary work. Chapter 17 is where the first part he runs into into Ammon and the other um, sons of Mosiah. And they all have this rejoicing together because they're all still stalwart. They're all still strong in the faith. They've been missionaries for 14 years at this point. And then we go on to hear what's happening during those 14 years. They kind of give Alma their little mission report, if you will. So we're going to go, then it backtracks and goes into what, what they're recounting to Alma. So here we have Ammon and his brothers start off and they... First of all, it says in verse in verse nine, they journeyed many days in the wilderness. They fasted much and prayed much that the Lord would grant unto them a portion of his spirit to go with them. 
and abide with them that they might be an instrument in the hands of God to bring, if it were possible, their brethren, the Lamanites, to the knowledge of the truth, to the knowledge of the baseness of the traditions of their fathers, which were not correct. Okay, so from the get-go, they've fasted, they've studied the scriptures that we learn in verse 2. They were prepared. They were ready, which is kind of the baseline. If you want to be an instrument, is you got to do your preparation. But then, so here's what they, essentially they were, they were heading out to the Lamanites to tell them, hey, guess what, guys? You're wrong. Your traditions are wrong. Let us share, share with you the truth. Okay. Not only are they supposed to be doing that, but we get a glimpse of who these Lamanites are. So we have a little before picture of the Lamanites and we're still in Alma chapter 17 and we get kind of a before glimpse in verse 14 and 15. Who are you ready for this? So it says, this is the description. Okay. They had undertaken to preach the word of God to a wild and hardened and ferocious, ferocious people, a people who delighted in murdering the Nephites and robbing and plundering them. Their hearts were set upon riches or upon gold and silver and precious stones. Yet they sought to obtain these things by murdering and plundering that they might not labor for them with their own hands. They were a very indolent people. They worshiped idols. The curse of God had fallen upon them. Um, But here's the kicker in verse 15, notwithstanding that word right there, notwithstanding the promises of the Lord were extended to them upon the conditions of repentance. I, I'm a geek. Okay. Let's just put that on the table. I, I study weird things. And this time through the, the standard works, I've been cataloging different phrases, different words that come up. And one of the, one of it's not, I guess technically a phrase, but I, I termed it this, uh, God is a God of second chances. And how many times I, I started cataloging how many times that he would give people second chances. And it was, it was 67 times throughout the Book of Mormon. And that's just the ones that I caught. I'm sure there are some I didn't. It just God aches, aches to have us home. Okay. When it comes right down to, to the end of the day, we come to earth to go home. That's it. End of story. The whole purpose of life. We come to earth and in order to get home, we need to make and keep our covenants. Again, that's it. When you peel back all of the layers, that is it. Make our covenants, keep our covenants. They are our fast pass to get back home. I mean, no disrespect for that whatsoever, but this is how I picture it. God wants everybody to get home. And this is the beauty of the gospel is he's made a way for every human being who ever inhabits this planet to be able to go home, regardless of where, when, how, anything about, about birth or life. Okay. He wants all of us to have that chance. So if you don't have that chance here, he still gives that again, he's got a second chances. He still gives you the chance, but it's going to take sometimes a long waiting room. You're going to be sitting, you're going to be sitting in the waiting room, standing in line until somebody finds your name, does your ordinances for you. Okay. How lucky are we as members of this gospel that we get to do our ordinances? In essence, people, this is giving us our fast pass. Once we get there, we get to skip the line and go right past and be able to enter the kingdom of God. 
Okay. How cool is that? That number one, we get that privilege, but then number two, that we can help other people get that privilege. Can't you just like feel God aching to have everybody get it while they're here so they don't have to wait in the waiting room of of the great beyond, that they can have those blessings now. He wants that so much. And that's what Ammon and his brothers wanted. They they were aching again for the Lamanites to be able to have that, to be able to have that privilege of knowing Christ and of being able to, to be redeemed from Christ. So if we back up a little in chapter 17 in verse 13, at the end, they he and his brothers have this last great meetup and then they part ways. And he says, for they suppose that great was the work that they had undertaken. And it, wow, it was great. They prayed again. I'm backing up again. I don't really go from front to back in lessons. Sorry. If, if you are a front to back reader, this might drive you crazy, but I, I tend to skip around a lot. So they, we go in Alma Chapter 17, verse 9, again, when they had fasted and prayed much that the Lord would grant to them a portion of his spirit and abide with them that they might be an instrument in the hands of God to bring, if it were possible, their brother in the Lamanites. Okay. I want to kind of catch that term instrument. Okay. That instrument in the hands of God. And God came to them after this prayer in verse 10, and the Lord did visit them with his spirit and said unto them, be comforted. And they were comforted. And the Lord said unto them, go forth among the Lamanites, thy brethren, and establish my church. Yet ye shall be patient in long suffering and afflictions that ye may show forth good examples unto them in me. And I will make an instrument of thee in my hands unto the salvation of many souls. Let's tease this out a little bit. So first of all, I think he's kind of preparing them, especially Aaron and his brethren, be patient, long suffering and afflictions. Okay. In long suffering and afflictions. And then he says, show forth good examples. You know, he didn't say, get out the discussions and read them right away. He said, show good examples and you will be an instrument in my hands. Okay. So he's telling them, yes, you can be an instrument. So I want to, I want to pause for a minute and just ask, let's all ask ourselves the question, what instrument am I in the great orchestra of God? President Nelson posed this question when he, when he invited all of us to be part of the gathering, to be part of this great work. I don't think he meant that we all need to be violinists because how boring would that be? I have seven kids. They all play different instruments. How boring would it be if they all played the same instrument? Okay, we we are here to be an orchestra, to play our personal note, to be, there's a song by David Archuleta. I'm sure you've heard, everybody, it seems like has heard about it, about playing in this great, this grand orchestra of God and this great symphony. Sometimes we have a solo part. Sometimes we're the harmony part, but we need to own our personal part in this. I am such a strong believer, and this could be a whole podcast in and of itself, that every single person was born on purpose for a purpose, that God gave us unique talents, unique abilities that enable us to touch certain people that nobody else could, that he gives us these things because he wants us to come together. It's not just a single sport. This is a, 
a family gathering. It's, it's a humanity gathering. He wants all of us home. There is no quota in heaven. There's no quota that once God meets, he's done. He wants everybody home. Okay. So we, we have that little piece of what instrument are we? And then we go to Ammon. So Ammon goes before, before the king and he gets bound before he even gets there. They take him before, um, they take him before King Lamoni and King Lamoni kind of just asks him, so what do you want? What, what, what would you like here? Are you coming to live? What, what's your deal? Now, Ammon could have very easily said, now remember his, his edict, so to speak, was to go show the Lamanites why they were wrong. So he very well could have said, I'm here to save you, King. I'm here to save you from your wicked traditions. I'm here to preach repentance. You're all, you're doing it all wrong and you need to repent. And I'm here to teach you. So I, sometimes I think it would be interesting to have the Book of Mormon be a choose your own adventure. What, you know, I wonder what this chapter would have been had he approached the king with that. But he didn't. What he did, he didn't come up and say, I'm here to save you. He walked into the court and said, I'm here to serve you. What can I do? What do you need? I, I want to dwell here maybe for a time, maybe until I die. I've, I've decided to live here and I want to help. So there's, um, I need to tread lightly. I realize, um, because I know there are many different aspects of how we view missionary work and there, there can be this element of guilt infused into, you have to share the gospel. You have to share the gospel, be a missionary, set a date, pray, invite a family to hear the, you know, sometimes I'm not going to lie. Sometimes there are high pressure tactics that are used in some of our lessons. And I have never been one to, to really sit well with that. I don't sit well with guilting people into sharing the gospel or guilting people into listening to the gospel. It's so much better when it's an organic flow, when it forms out of friendships, when it's not, you're building a friendship in order to share the gospel. It's you're sharing the gospel with your dear friends on not on baptismal terms, so to speak, just on life terms. It doesn't have to be that every, that every interaction you have ends with a baptismal date at all. People can smell angles a mile away and it can become very awkward when you try to force the gospel onto people. And when you, you try to force yourself into this weird, unnatural position of, I've got to I've got to be a missionary now. I've got to hurry and share the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that we don't hold back. Like I said at the beginning, God wants everybody home. He wants the or the covenants and the ordinances to be available to all. But being an instrument, I think, is where we really need to to understand how we can personalize that. Okay, so we've got Ammon. He goes to King Lamoni. King Lamoni is so happy. He's like, marry my daughter. I live here. And Ammon's like, ooh. Yeah, that's kind of against this white handbook that missionaries have. I'm not supposed to get romantically involved. Here's a missionary. So he says, yeah, I want to go serve you. So so King Lamoni has him go, go watch the sheep. Okay. And we know the story. People come in, scatter the sheep. Everybody gets scared because what happens typically in that situation is the people who are sent to guard the sheep get killed. But when Ammon, so in verse 29, the this is after the sheep were scattered. 
And now they wept because of the fear of being slain. Now, when Ammon saw this, his heart was swollen within him with joy. For, said he, I will show forth my power unto these, my fellow servants, or the power which is in me in restoring these flocks to the king, that I may win the hearts of these, my fellow servants, that I may lead them to believe on my word. Okay, I want to pull out a couple of things here. Um, first of all, he he's serving. He's serving the king. He's doing what needs to be done. Then all of a sudden is his solo. It's time for a solo. It's time for him to get up and really shine. Okay. It's, um, I like the phrase, I will show forth my power. Okay. He's needing to show his talents. He's not doing the mock humility of, oh, I don't know what to do. I, I hate mock humility. He knows his talents. He stands forth. He does it to win the hearts and lead them to believe on his words. Again, it's always with that end goal with Matthew, what Christ tells us in Matthew, to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works to the end that they glorify your father, which is in heaven. Okay. It's always, we can show them our talents if we have the end goal that our purpose is to bring them to God not to ourselves. The other phrase I want to pull out is heart. Okay. Now this is another of my geekiness. I've been cataloging how many times heart is used because we think the book of Mormon is a book of pride. It is a book of pride. It talks about pride and the pride fall cycle. So I started cataloging how many times pride is said, and it said 73 times that I found again, I may be off on that, but you know, what is even more interesting is I was also cataloging the number of times they use the word heart. And interestingly, heart blows pride out of the water. In the Book of Mormon, it's mentioned 364 times, 172 more times in the DNC. So I, I can only take from that, that God is much more concerned about our heart status than our works, than what we do, even maybe more so than our pride. He wants our heart. He wants us to have our heart softened and to give our hearts to him. Because as we'll find, as we go through another part of the story, our hearts are really the only thing we have to give him is our hearts and our desires. And here's another interesting factoid. So I served my mission in Guatemala and I spent the majority of time in this in this mountain range of, of Polo Cheek in Alta Verapaz with the Kechi Indians. It's a Mayan they, they spoke a Mayan dialect called Kekchi. And the whole basis of this language is centered around the heart. To approach somebody to say hello, what the phrase that you say is masalachol, which means, is your heart happy or is there, happy, is there happiness in your heart? It's all, everything they talk about is based around their heart. And to say, for them to respond, they would say, yes, my heart is happy. Or sometimes, no, my heart is sad. Also, interestingly, when it comes to the Lamanites and and how they had once been a delightsome people, but then had forgotten through the generations, in in Kekchi, to say I forgot something, the phrase is sashlin chol, which means it left my heart. That's how you would say it for I forgot it. And I remember learning this as a missionary and just having a little brain explosion of, oh my word, that their hearts were literally hardened because it left their heart. The gospel left their heart and their teachings of their fathers left their heart and they became hard. And so the missionaries are trying to bring that back to win in verse 29, to win the hearts 
of of the servants to to lead them to believe on my words, or maybe even to re have the words re-enter the hearts and be written on the heart. It was just a little little powerful tidbit there with that. So he he goes forth. He's obviously strong. His talent lies in a sling in in the sword. And that's where he just shines. He starts killing these people, starts cutting off their arms. Could you imagine the king's servants over there? Like, what's, what's happening here? You know, we, the king's never going to believe this. We've got to take evidence. Let's scoop up the arms. Let's go home and tell the king. So they run home, they tell the king and the king freaks out. He's thinking, okay, whoa, is this the great spirit? Where, where is he? You know, because they said, all that we know is he's your friend because he was protecting your sheep. So the king's asking, where is he? And we're flipping now to Alma chapter 18, verse nine. And they said unto him, behold, he is feeding thy horses. Now the king had commanded his servants previous to the time of watering their flocks that they should prepare his horses and chariots. Whoa. Okay. So he's just had his solo. Now's the time he could stand up and take a bow, so to speak. He could go to King Lamoni and be like, look, now are you getting a clue of who I am? Now are you getting a clue of my power? Now you better listen to me. Um, No, he continued to serve, to serve the king and to serve with exactness, to have that exact obedience that President Nelson, again, always counsels us to have. So the king is even more perplexed at this time. And here's where I want to pause also, because in just a tiny little story, when my mission was, I was given, it was called an additional calling. It was in addition to regular proselyting, you will ask to be, to spend a considerable amount of time in the welfare services work. Okay. So I spent five weeks of intense training in the MTC, learning these welfare principles. And it essentially, to me, it's what the heart of missionary work is. These principles changed my life. They changed the way I approached every mission opportunity. They changed the way I approached parenting. They changed the way I approached callings. If you, if you ever want to know about this, man, look up Mary Ellen Edmonds. She is a modern day Ammon missionary. She served multiple missions. She helped start and do a lot of these training, these training modules that I received. And as in essence, the welfare aspect of missionary work is you look at a person and you help them take one step closer to Christ wherever they are on the spectrum. If it's before baptism, then yes, you help them take that step of baptism. If it's that they can't read, then you help them learn how to read so they can read the Book of Mormon so they can gain a testimony. If it's after baptism and they have fallen away, then you help them find their way back. And yes, that does count as missionary work. If it's a leader who is just called and doesn't know even how to conduct a meeting, then missionary work is helping them to learn how to conduct a meeting or learn how to make a calling. It's looking at each individual on their own path to Christ and helping them just take that next step. It's not just this one marker of baptism is the end all be all, which baptism is huge. I'm not taking away from baptism, but there are so many steps along this path along this covenant path. And it enables us to look at people as individuals. And I believe this is what Ammon was doing. He was looking at the king as an individual and saying, right now you need me to serve you. 
and you've asked me to do this. And then we get to the big moment. The The meat of chapter 18 is when King Lamoni calls him in and says, who are you? You know, can you teach me? And even when he calls him in, in verse 17, Ammon says to him, I'm a man, I'm thy servant. Therefore, whatsoever thou desirest, which is right, that will I do. I'm still your servant, king. What, what, what do you want me to do? Which freaks the king out even more. And he's silent. And then finally starts to ask kind of what's going on. Will you tell me, will you explain what's happening? And then Ammon starts where the king is. He starts in verse 24. Do you believe there's a God? And the king answers and says, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And then Ammon says, okay, let's take even a step backwards and says, do you believe there's a great spirit? And Ammon says, yes, that, that I know that language I do know. And Ammon says that is God or this is God. So he's building on those common beliefs, no matter how far back he needs to go. And then he takes King Lamoni one step further and then teaches him another step and then teaches him again. And then King Lamoni asks him, well, so are you sent from God? And in verse 34, I love this answer from Ammon. He says, I am a man and man in the beginning was created after the image of God. So he's teaching him still. And I am called of his Holy Spirit to teach these things unto this people that they might be brought to a knowledge of that which is just and true. So again, he's taking him another baby step. I'm a man. I was created in the image of God. I'm called to teach these things. He goes on to teach Lamoni, who then receives the mercy of God, it says, and falls down as if he's dead. Ooh, that Wow, that would be an interesting response to, to converts. So, so he lays as if he's dead for two days. The king, the queen comes to Ammon and says, look, everybody says he's dead. They say I need to bury him. And then one of my one of our funny lines that we often quote, we in fact we just quoted this as we we're coming home from a camping trip this past week about everybody says he's dead, he st- he stinketh. All right, so I, now I'm jumping into Alma chapter 19, um, verse five, and she says, "But as for as for myself, to me he doth not stink." Now that's love. That's pure love for you right there. But then let's skip to chapter or to verse six in chapter 19. And it's interesting how many times they use the word light in here. They use it six different times to talk about, about King Lamoni. And I'll, I'll just read some of these briefly. For Ammon knew that King Lamoni was under the power of God. He knew that the dark veil of unbelief was being cast away from his mind, that the light which did light up his mind, which was the light of the glory of God, which a marvelous light of his goodness. Yea, this light had infused such joy into his soul, the cloud of darkness having been dispelled, that the light of everlasting life was lit up in his soul. He knew that he had overcome his natural frame and he was carried away in God. So it's interesting that that just, another little tidbit of that infusion of the darkness and the light. And he knows what's happening in this. He's being, again, he's being the instrument in, in the hands of God. And she believes, she says, okay, I, I have no other witness than what you said, but, but I believe, I believe in what you said. Okay. So let's talk about this. So he knows that the King Lamoni is being converted And it didn't happen with him storming the castle. It happened with him utilizing his talents. So again, let's go back. I just want to really hit home on this. What is your talent? What is your instrument? 
how can you best tune your personal instrument to God? And I'll give you just a little personal example. We were sitting once in, it was in a church meeting and it was on missionary work and I was feeling the heaps of guilt on my shoulders. I was feeling very overwhelmed at the time thinking I cannot add one more thing to my platter. I just, I don't have it in me right now. And I remember sitting in that Relief Society lesson and I just kind of bowed my head and I just had a little fight with God. Um, I, I fight with God all the time. I, I have yet to win one of those fights, but you would think I would learn, but I still do. And I, I was doing my little, like shake my fist of saying, Oh God, I just can't do this. I can't. I, I have seven kids all still living at home. And I, I just was felt like I was barely coming up for water every couple days or coming up for air in my ocean of water every couple days. So I just kind of said, God, I can't do this. I can't add another thing. And I just, I feel so guilty. I want to help. I really, really want to be able to do this, but I, I just feel too overwhelmed right now. So here's the deal. If you want me to help with this, I really, I need something to like fall into my lap. Just kind of throw me a bone. Can you just throw me a bone just this once? I'm willing. My spirit is willing. I want to help. I'm just, I just don't know how I can right now. So shortly after that, I got a text from one of my friends. So here's a friend that I had met. I'm a dietitian by trade. And at one of a convention a number of years ago, I had met another dietitian and we really hit it off. Great fun. Just talked about a lot of things came up. I was, I was a member of the church and she was not, but she, she had known of it. And she and I were the only two who weren't drinking that night. So we were kind of laughing at that. And we've just got to be really good friends and had met up at, at our convention once a year and just texted or talked a little bit throughout the year. So randomly out of the blue, I get a text from her and she says, Hey, Jen, I am sitting right now in an LDS testimony meeting and I'm feeling a spirit that I've never felt before. I know you've written some books about, about your church. Could you send some of those to me? I would really love to, to learn some more in, in this way. And it was one of those moments where I was like, wow. Oh, okay. You know, I kind of looked up at God. Okay. Bone accepted. I, I'm acknowledging this is the bone that you totally are throwing me. So of course I got the books ready, piled them all up, got them sent off, did not send the, the weight control book, just so you know, sent the two, the two church books. Didn't think, you know, I didn't want to pressure I didn't want to, I, I did text her or wrote in a little note saying, I'm happy to have any conversation, to answer any questions you have. Just let me know. Didn't want to push it. So I just kind of let it drop. A few months go by and I got another text from her that she said, Jen, thank you so much for sending those books. They really helped. They really helped me on my journey in on my spiritual journey. And I just wanted you to know, I have set a baptismal date and I'm getting baptized into the church. And again, it was one of those moments where the spirit on my, on my shoulder was just kind of sitting there saying, Nina, Nina, you want something in your lap? It's going in your lap. God will use us to any extent that we can. He will let us use whatever talents and gifts we have. 
Okay. Writing is one of the ways that I communicate my feelings for other people. It can be baking for some people. It's singing, whatever way that you use your talents, God will let you use those. He'll let, he'll let it be natural. He'll let it be this fusing and this organic relationship to, to flow. So don't get, don't feed into the mechanical. There's only one way to do it. Get rid of the guilt and listen to your personal tuning system, to your instruments workings. Let that work with God. That will be the most natural way that you can, that you can share with him. So we're going to fast forward a a little bit through the storyline. So King Lamoni um, wants to take, to take Emma to visit his father. Come with me and... And it's interesting that the answer he receives is thou shalt not go up. So I'm sorry, I'm skipping to Alma chapter 20, verse two. And the voice of the Lord came to Emma and said, thou shalt not go up to the land of Nephi for behold, the king will seek thy life. And it's interesting. I have written in my, in my sidelines here. Sometimes God protects through power as he saved Ammon. There are times throughout this, the previous chapters when people tried to kill him and they were struck down because God was answering the prayer of Ammon's father to keep him safe. And other times he protects through warning. Okay. God is not stuck in one little niche box. He will protect us in all different ways, but we need to listen to those, to those whisperings. And so he, he says, my brothers are in prison, so I'm going to go save them. But before Before we do that, I want to jump to one little verse again in Alma chapter 19, verse 36. This is kind of the ending to King Lamoni's conversion. And it says, and thus the work of the Lord did commence among the Lamanites. Thus the Lord did begin to pour out his spirit unto them. And we see that his arm is extended to all people who will repent and believe on his name. God is a God of second chances. And there's no quota in heaven. I love that verse. He even goes one verse, or, or we can take it a step farther, spoiler alert, if you want the after effect of the description. It comes in Alma chapter 27, verse 27 and 28. These people became the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. These ones that in the very initial point that I had talked about, or that the scriptures had talked about, how they were hard-hearted, they were murderous, they were they were lazy, they were robbing they become the anti-Nephi-Lehi's who become so committed to God that they bury their weapons of war. Nobody is too far gone for God. And it's a good thing because we're stepping into the chapter of King Lamoni's father. So, so Ammon goes with, with King Lamoni to on their way to save his brothers on the way. We have the father come down just little baseline. He's got anger issues. Just saying, yeah. Just, just telling you. So he, they meet up with his father and he's like, what are you doing with this Nephi? He's the son of a liar. King Lamoni tells him everything. No, he's not. In fact, he's really cool. I have joined the church, so, so to speak. I've kind of come to Christ. And he, the father tells him, kill him. No, you need to kill him right now. And King Lamoni won't kill him. And so then his father tries to kill King Lamoni. So Ammon steps in to save him. Then King Lamoni tries to kill Ammon. Dude, anger issues, I'm telling you, has he never heard of yoga? So Ammon 
Ammon gets in a position where he can easily slay King Lamonahai. So we're in Alma chapter 20, verse 20 and 21. Ammon withstood his blows and smote his arm that he could not use it. Ammon has a thing with arms. At least he didn't, at least he didn't chop it off, right? So in verse 21, now when the king saw that Ammon could slay him, he began to plead with Ammon that he would spare his life. And then he goes down and says, okay, I will give you anything. I'll give you half my kingdom. And this is where you got to step back and think, ooh, if somebody offered me half his kingdom, would I take it? It's, it's, I mean, it's got to be a little tempting. We brush right by that. But the king has just offered you a bunch of land and money and everything. But what, what Ammon says is actually, no, actually, I don't. Here's the only condition I'll give you your life is if you allow your son the freedom to worship as he pleases and to not govern him anymore. Whoa. That act right there is what starts the seed for the conversion of King Lamoni's father. Okay. So we've got that just kind of places in there. And then we flip over in verse 20 or in chapter 21 to the account of Aaron and Mulekai and their brethren and the Lamanites. And I just want to highlight this verse three in chapter 21, because they happen to go to another strain of of Lamanites, and I say Lamanites a little loosely because they there's actually Lamanites and then there's Nephite dissenters or defectors, however we want to call it. And in verse three, it says, now the Lamanites of themselves were sufficiently hardened, but the Amalekites and the Amulonites were still harder. Now, these were people who were defectors from or dissenters from the Nephites. Therefore, they did cause the Lamanites that they should harden their hearts, that they should wax strong in wickedness and their abominations. So again, we have that hardening of the heart. They cause them to even forget more. Okay, so these are an even harder group of people. So they try, they try to teach in, I'm flipping over now. I'm just barely touching on this. I'm flipping to verse 10. They began to expound these things onto to the people and they were angry. They began to mock them. They would not hear the words that they said. And in verse 12, it even goes more. They saw that the people would harden their hearts. Therefore, they departed and came over to the land of Madoni. They did preach the word to many and few believed the words which they taught. Oh, if you're getting ready for a mission, sink that in your heart because you will feel that a lot. You preach the word to many and few believe. It's so, that's one of the great heartbreaks of, of missionary work is you have so much to offer and there's historically a small percentage of people who actually believe. So they get thrown into prison. Then this is where Ammon comes. They get them out of prison. And then in verse 15, they went forth again to declare the word, like talk about perseverance. They're preaching jail out preaching again. So they finally have success in verse 17. The Lord began to bless them insomuch that they brought many to the knowledge of the truth. Yea, they did convince many of their sins and the traditions of their fathers, which were not correct. So they finally, after all of this, start to have a little success on their own. In verse 22, this is where I'm going to, this last point that I'm going to bring up. So then Aaron gets sent to King Lamoni's father. So he gets there and at first King Lamoni's father's a little thrown off. He's like, why, what, why are you here? Why, why isn't Ammon coming? And it's funny that Aaron, his, his answer is just very matter of fact in verse one of 22. And he said, um, he was led by the spirit to the land of Nephi. 
even to the house of the king that was over all the land. So this is, this is Aaron who was led there. And he said, well, sorry, King Ammon, Ammon was called to a different place. So I'm here. And, and the king kind of accepts that. And he says, I will insist that you shall administer to me for I've been somewhat troubled in mind because of the generosity and greatness of the words of thy brother Ammon. And as I desire to know the cause, why he has not come up out of Madonai with thee. (laughs) And this is where Aaron says, the spirit of the Lord hath called him another way. He hath gone to the land of Ishmael to teach the people of Lamoni. But Aaron's there. Okay. And the king is that seed that had been planted by Ammon is now ready to flourish under Aaron. Okay. Again, let's think about this with our own touch, our own touch points with people. We don't always see the fruition of the little butterfly effects that we can have those little touch points that we have, but believe me, they're there. And the King was ready. So we have verse 22. It is the perfect. Again, if any of you are preparing for a mission, perfect script, perfect chapter to read for the teaching process. Okay, so number one, King Lamoni had a desire in verse 10, and Aaron was ready to teach him. He was prepared. Again, if we fall back to the very beginning of this, he was prepared to teach him in all of these ways. And so in verse 12 and 13, he he teaches him the plan of redemption. He teaches the creation. He teaches all of these things. And then in verse 15, the king says, what, what do I need to do? What shall I do? I will give up all of my possessions. I will forsake my kingdom that I may receive this great joy. So he's still on this initial level of, I'm going to give my physical things. I'm going to give up because I want to, to fill this joy, but he's willing, he's willing to do and forsake. Okay. But Aaron says, you know what? That's, that's not what you need to do. You just need to bow down and repent of your sins. Okay. And and this is what I want to leave with in verse 17 and 18. Now the king did bow down before the Lord upon his knees. Yea, even he did prostrate himself upon the earth and cried mightily saying, O God, Aaron hath told me that there is a God. And if there is a God, and if thou art God, wilt thou make thyself known unto me? And here's the clencher. And I will give away all my sins to know thee. Okay, let's, let's think about that. We give away a lot. We can give away our time. We can give away our service. We can give away cookies. We can give away dinners. But really, really what God's interested in is our hearts. He's really interested in giving up the things that will block us from coming home. And that's our sins. And, you know, a lot of times we think about sins as the big ones, the murder, the stealing. Of course, we don't do those. But what about those little sins in our heart? And I'm right here. I'm, I'm talking to myself. What about my little sins of being petty or my sins of being jealous or being judgmental? Like those little things. Am I really, am I really willing to give those away to truly allow God to enter and to be able to, to truly be forgiven? It's really powerful. It's a powerful moment for ourselves and for those we teach. But I do know that at the end of the day, that's what God wants. Circling back to the beginning, He wants us home. He aches to have us home. And oh, by the way, He wants everybody else home. He wants all of His kids home. 
And he's just, I can just feel him up there just saying, come on, just reach out, link arms, everybody make it back together. I could not imagine sending all seven of my kids off to school and only having six of them come home or five or three. I could just, I can feel his ache to get all of his kids back home at the end of the day, because really we are just at a school day here on earth and God's waiting anxiously to receive us in that great heavenly hug. And that I leave with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. For more Come Follow Me teaching materials, visit cedarfort.com. Use code CFPODCAST to receive 15% off of your entire order.